0: Well, today we're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, We're just going to kind of start by talking a little bit about what's new at Cold Wax Academy rather than uh, doing that during the mid-roll. So Rebecca's here with me. Rebecca, what's new at Cold Wax Academy?
1: Well, there's always something. (laughs) So we we are winding down our summer quarter now. We just have a few sessions left, but it's been a really interesting um, uh, look at we started with principles of design, and we talked about them in, in a lot of depth, which really lead to good composition. And we had a guest panel of four uh, gallery owners from around the country that answered questions about about working with galleries, and that was really interesting. Um,
0: yeah, and those shows are very uh, popular with our listeners when we talk about things like that. And I would imagine mm-hmm. that that it was incredibly insightful, and that your your students got a lot out of that.
1: Oh yeah, I, I learned stuff too. I mean, it was it was really good. And then and then we had. Um, Well, we're in the middle of two sessions about the topic of personal voice, and that is um, something a lot of artists are concerned with, you know, finding an authentic voice in their work. And then we'll wrap up with a member critique, um, and we, we typically have a special topic for the critique, so people can submit their work, and this time we're asking them to write about 100 words about the form of their work, the composition, the visual elements, how they think it's working or not working or whatever they want to say about it. And then we will uh, talk about that when we show the work. And uh, sometimes we invite members on with us and then they can we can have a conversation with them about it. So we're always looking for ways to involve the members.
0: And if you want to sign up for Cold Wax Academy, of course, that's coldwaxacademy.com. And those those past sessions, including the uh, the gallery panel, um, are available as as recordings, correct? That's right.
1: That is okay. absolutely right, Yep.
0: So that's coldwaxacademy.com, and now we're going to get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about teaching workshops. Last week we talked about workshops from the point of view of artists taking them, what they look for, and how to make choices from the many options available. Today we want to talk about workshops from the perspective of workshop instructors. Many artists who have ideas and experience to share are drawn to workshop teaching. And teaching can be very rewarding, interesting, and a lucrative side job that fits well with an artist's own studio practice. But it's also a completely unregulated territory where success depends largely on personal reputation and endorsements, and where sometimes the best laid plans fall apart. What does it take to do well as a workshop instructor? What are some of the rewards of teaching workshops? And what are some things to watch out for? With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll.
1: Hello, everyone. Well, I have to say, it's hard to even know where to begin with this topic. It's such a big one. And I am aware that a lot of our listeners probably already teach workshops. So I want to talk a little bit like, with some tips if this is a new idea for you or something you haven't done yet. And then I also want to go into some things that I've learned by experience about teaching workshops that may be helpful for people that are already involved in teaching. And I've been I've been teaching them for about 13 years now in every type of situation, Uh, usually um, not a range of topics. I've always dealt with teaching cold wax medium, but the range of um, venues and students and so many different things uh, add up to, you know, a lot of thought about this subject. (laughs) So that's what I want to get into and just kind of starting with, well, getting started. What if... Uh, as you said in the intro, this this is something that attracts a lot of artists that feel like they have something to say, like they have developed um, their techniques and skills to the point where they can share that, um, they have original ideas about things like process and creativity, um, so many different um, ideas and, and skills that can be shared, and it is an entrepreneurial venture because this is something that you can develop on your own and reap the rewards both financial and um and personally there's lots of personal rewards to this so it is a it's an attractive idea and i think that to get started i mean the basic really basic question is what do you know enough about to teach it and it seems really basic that you know you need that experience you need the knowledge about what you're going to teach you. You need to have done this in your own art practice. You need this basic qualifications that people are looking for. If they go to your website, if they look you up, they wanna see this solid background in what in what you wanna share. Um, I, I wanted to mention this first of all because I hear sometimes about people who start teaching on a really small, casual basis, like maybe they have some friends that say, hey, I'm interested in that technique you're doing. Would you hold a little workshop? And you know, that's great. and You get your friends involved. And so you start out in this kind of small way, um, and then it can snowball a bit. And I absolutely know that you can get into this without really being prepared, because you sense a demand for this particular thing that you're able to talk about. And I think it's tempting to jump in without really having a solid basis or really knowing very much about teaching. So I just wanted to throw that in because I've heard that story from a number of people and I've heard it also from students who took workshops from somebody that really was not ready to teach it. So how do you
0: know if you're ready to teach?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that you have a lot of experience and practice with whatever your topic is. And the actual teaching part of it, how do you teach, is something I think that probably a lot of people learn through experience. And it helps to be very organized. It helps to be very conscious, to get feedback. And I'm going to go into some other tips about how you improve your teaching and how you get into it um, but that that basic knowledge and experience you have to start with that and and I also feel that it's it's best if you're teaching something that is at least in part original at least in part it's something that you've come up with yourself because when you're using your own original material, I think it just gives you more. Authority, more confidence. Um, You're not just saying or doing or teaching something that you've observed someone else doing. You're not just, it's not secondhand. So I think ultimately more satisfying to you, more interesting to you, and more, um, it carries more weight with with the people who are studying with you if it's something you've developed yourself. Um, And it's often not the case. A lot of workshops are really just replicating what the instructor got from another artist. And I mean, I think there are some ethical issues with that, not necessarily, but I think if the if you don't give credit to where you learned this from, I think that's a problem. And so, and, and I don't think the entire content of your workshop has to be original by any means, but always giving credit um, if you're using someone's information. I think that's really important.
0: Well, we do stand on the shoulders of giants, you know. We we build on on what we learn from other people, um, and so it's it may be hard to kind of uh, differentiate a little bit, you know, what oh wh- for where sure did this come from, where did that come from, uh, you know? Are are you simply compiling information from several sources? Are you adding your own yeah. um, original take or original style or technique? Um, and so that, that that can be you know a complicated, uh, right? And I thing don't. To,
1: I'm not saying you have to document everything, but let's say you've read um, a book that teaches some techniques written by someone else, and then you turn around and basically teach what you learned from that book. In right. that case, I think you need to sor- cite the book, recommend the book um, as a source. Uh, sometimes people actually use handouts from other instructors, you know, I mean, things like that where it's kind of an obvious. Um, uh, lifting of someone else's, um, what do you call it, intellectual property, I think then you are obligated to say that. As you say, though, of course, a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what we teach is, you know, it's a mixture. We've picked it up many places. And that's, yeah, that would be not necessary to pick that apart. But I just wanted to throw that in because I, I know it happens and it, it bothers me a bit um, as the author of a book and and as the author of a lot of original intellectual property. I feel grateful when people credit it and I wish that people did across the board no matter who you are no matter what source you're bringing it from. Instructors do this in college, you know, they recommend textbooks and you know just I don't know, quote people. It's fine. That's good. <laughs> so anyway, um another thing to think about when you're getting into teaching is where you are going to teach? And this is so wide open. It can be your own studio if you have a room in your studio. It could be anything from that up to a really established art venue, art center. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the pros and cons of using your own studio to teach in in a minute. But I would say that if you're getting into this and you're looking to other venues to get your start, And that is a good way to do it because they will handle many of the details for you. Just a couple things to kind of watch out for and, and, you know, do your own research when you're invited to teach somewhere that you're not familiar with um, and you haven't been there as a student or know people involved or that sort of thing. As your practice grows, you will be invited and there will be opportunities to teach in other places in the country and things like that if you want to do that. So things to look for. um, I'm going to get a little crass right away and talk about money. And that is the pay scale. Ideally, you can set your own rates and, and get what you feel you need to be compensated. But you need to ask about this because some of actually some of the most established and prestigious venues have very set rates about what they pay instructors and they usually aren't very good. And it's I mean, I've talked to places about this, and they say yes, but you can put uh, this place on your resume, and it's going to look really good for you. And I think, oh, come on.
0: <laughs> we we and we've talked about doing things just for exposure in the past, and how it's really not a very good idea.
1: Yeah, it's really the same category, and it it just it's it just seems so wrong to me because these places have big reputations. And they could certainly get that money for you if they if they wanted to, but they they don't and I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I can think of six or eight places off the top of my head Now, you may decide that it's still worthwhile for you to go. It may be somewhere you've always wanted to go, always wanted to teach, and there are intangible benefits that are gonna make you decide to do it but it is something it's something to look into another thing to to ask about and pay attention to is what about your own accommodations what about your travel um get all this stuff in writing at least in an email how's this going to work and it works different ways sometimes you get a flat rate and then it's up to you to arrange where you're going to stay and your own travel and that can be good cuz you can if you're a bargain hunter you can work that to your advantage other times you get some type of reimbursement and the only thing i would say to really be pretty cautious about is when you are not offered private accommodations and by that i mean and i did this a lot in the beginning uh you're told that you can stay with the host you can stay with somebody who's in charge of the workshop and i don't want to in any way you know say anything against the generosity of people who i stayed with in the beginning But over time, I realized how much at the end of the day, I just needed to be alone. And at least in a situation where I could disappear immediately if I wanted to. And so often when you stay with somebody, there is an expectation of socializing with them, having dinner, talking. I've even gone into situations where the host expected me to do a private critique of her work, you know, this kind of thing. It's just it just puts you in a position of being obligated in certain ways that you don't really need to do that after a long day of teaching. So I'm not saying it can't work. And I can think of situations that were totally delightful, but it is something to, you know, like, just be a little cautious, tread carefully. Um, and let's see. Oh, the other thing, a, a big thing is what what's the space like where you're going to teach this actual workshop space? Is it big enough? And this can be actually pretty hard to determine. And you may get, you ask the venue, well, what's the space like? Oh, it's plenty big enough, you know. (laughs) And if you have any doubts, dimensions, photographs, things like that can really be important. Um, Also know that when you work with another venue, they're going to ask you for very specific things, a description of your workshop, which needs to be as accurate as you can make it. Um, They're gonna ask you probably for a materials list. Um, What do you want the students to bring? Um, And just kind of like being prepared with this type of thing. They'll want photographs of your work, probably of you. Um, And the actual materials, I think, really thinking about what it is you want the students to bring and what you will bring. And in the beginning, when I first started teaching, I would bring a lot of stuff with me. And, you know, because of what, because what I teach involves making textures and the wax and things like that, I would just bring, you know, all this stuff. And gradually, year by year, it sort of pared down and, and I started to think, well, I can demo how to put textures into the wax with, you know, just a few things. They'll get the idea. And then everybody can figure out their own ways of doing this, you know. So it's kind of like this learning process of paring down, what do you really need to bring? It can start out at ridiculous levels. (laughs) And I think that two more things about the students, how many students you want to teach at a time, um, that can be tied in with what you feel you need financially to compensate you for travel, for going to this place, for planning everything, Typically, if you don't have very many students, that's going to impact the amount of money that you'll make from it. Uh, So there's usually a minimum amount that people say, this is my cutoff point. You know, I I can't do it for less than five students or whatever. Uh, At the other end of things, you know, I think especially starting out, you probably don't want more than 10 people in your class. Experienced instructors often take on more than that, but you really have to know what you're doing, I think, to handle you know, 12, 14 people, uh, at once. And too few people can also be is kind of deplete the energy of it all. You know, you, you need a certain amount of interaction among the students to keep things interesting. So, um, private workshops are another thing. You may teach one-on-one, but if you're going to have a classroom, my own thought is at least five people to get that kind of interaction going. That's interesting. And, um, what level to teach at. I would say even if you are very experienced in what you're going to teach, I believe it's better to start with an intro level class for your students um, because there's a lot to learn about teaching itself. So when you're put in the position of teaching these basic things about what you do, wow, it is such a challenge to your own ability to convey information to be organized, to be articulate. I think you learn a lot about how to teach when you're teaching very basic things about your medium. And then later on, if you want to branch into more, oh, you know, specialized topics or advanced students, I think that's a a process of kind of evolution.
0: So what about like marketing or um, communication with your students? Do you recommend doing that through a website or a newsletter or email?
1: Yeah, I think, I think different ways work um, and whatever you have kind of, if you have a following of people on social media, on a new, uh, mailing list for your newsletter, those are great ways to let people know what's happening. Typically, if you work with a venue, they are also going to promote to their audience. And a lot of art centers have people that take multiple workshops at the same place and they're always, oh, what's next? Oh, that looks good, you know? So you'll get students that way if you work with another venue, but it's also really, it is your responsibility to promote as much as you can in your own channels and and the ones that you've already established will will work best.
0: Right. And presumably once you have a sale, once somebody has paid you for, uh, for to attend the workshop, you probably have an email, and that's a, a pretty good way to communicate with them going forward.
1: Right. It uh, keeping a mailing list is always important, and so although I don't teach workshops very much anymore myself, at one time I had a mailing list when people would sign up for my mailing list on my website, my art website they could check a box that said uh, workshop information. And then I would specifically target the people that wanted that when I sent out um, announcements, newsletters, and make sure they got that information. The problem with only doing it on social media is not everybody's using social media (laughs) or the same one that you're using. So if you really wanna get the word out, probably a newsletter email type thing is best.
0: And when you're communicating with people who have already purchased your workshop, um, you know, of course, and and before you, before they've purchased your workshop, uh, if you wanted to share the messy studio with them, we, we would very much appreciate that. This is a great resource that we put out there for free. Yes. And there is a ton of information here that can help prepare people for a workshop experience. Um, you know, the, the last episode we did yeah. might be a really good one to send to your students.
1: Yes, no kidding. There's We have covered many topics and... Um, and also, you know, I guess uh, we could also mention now that this affiliate link that we often promote for materials.
0: Oh yeah, it, absolutely.
1: It, that is something when you send your materials list and you've decided, okay, I want the students to bring this type of paint or this type of surface. Um, if you're if you're in the U.S. and you you are familiar with Blick, this is a great online company and. If you send them our affiliate link, your students, and they purchase materials for your workshop, then we get a kickback and it's 10% of what they spend and they don't pay anything extra. It just, you just go through that link and then um, we automatically get that 10% and it's, it's important to us.
0: Yeah, and of, of course, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. Um, and uh, as, as Rebecca said, it, it doesn't cost anything extra. Uh, we put all this content out for free, and that, that's the best way that you can give back to us to make sure that we can continue to produce this content, because this content isn't free to produce. We, we put it out there for free, but it, yeah. it costs us to, to actually produce this content. Right. Um, So that that it is a great way for you to to support the podcast and and as a thank you to us, right? So spread
1: the word if you're if you're connecting with your students about materials, and also for yourself. I mean, you know, we always love it when when our artist listeners buy through Blick and use our link. So. Okay, yeah, and, and I do try to
0: give people a heads up on the podcast as well um, when when things go on sale that I, I think that you'll be interested in. Uh, and uh, for the, the past couple of weeks there have there has been a, a really tremendous sale on, um, on paints and on cold wax medium and a lot of things that are really useful to people that are that are consuming our content. And I did just check the Blick website and uh, that sale is still going on. Um, so it, it's, uh, they're, they're kind of moving into their, their fall deals now, but the, the discounts on paints and, uh, mediums and everything that is that we've been promoting for the past few weeks, that is still active. Um, yeah. but, uh, it, it's a good reason to listen to, uh, the pre-roll that today we just talked about Cold Wax Academy and the pre-roll. Um, but, uh, oftentimes I'll stick information there on sales that are going on and yeah. if you buy when things are on sale, you end up saving a whole bunch of money.
1: So. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to shift to um, things that I've learned when I'm teaching workshops, kind of like teaching tips, and I'm hoping some of these will be good if you're if you're already teaching. You've done it for a while, um, and this is this is my own list. Everybody has their, I think, their own experiences and things like that, but. To start off the pros and cons of using your own studio, and obviously the pros of teaching in your own studio, it's very convenient. You don't have any travel. Um, you know, you, you walk away and go to your own dinner and your own bed at night. Um, and there's kind of a more intimate casual feeling often to workshops that are held in people's studios. Cons, though, there are problems with it. you are left with organizing everything yourself, dealing with all the registrations. Um, and it takes a lot of time and energy. And you have to be very clear about all your policies. You know, how are you going to take payment? What about deposits? What about cancellations and refunds? And every all the inquiries about where am I going to stay and, and these sort of things that a venue has a person who deals with all these things. And, and oftentimes when I work with a venue, I never... I don't even know who's in the class until I get the, the roster. I mean, they, they just deal with everything. And um, so, you know, there's pros and cons. I mean, the pro also, you when you set your fee, that's your fee, you get everything, right? Uh, when you're working with a venue, they're going to have their own needs for income, so that will affect the, the price. Um, I think one of my biggest tips, and I know not all workshop instructors do this, And that is really to plan. And when I plan, I have, what am I going to do this morning? What am I going to do that afternoon? You know, it's really spelled out. And... At the same time, I know when I do this that I have to be flexible because sometimes things just take longer than you think. And you, you can't even necessarily predict that. Different groups that you work with may take a longer time to do something. And you, know, it, you just have to kind of be on top of how is the group functioning right now? Can I move them along? Do I need to stick exactly to the schedule? Um, but as far as that plan goes, also, when I teach, I'm constantly revising it. Every time I teach, I go back through my plan, even if it's basically the same class, a an advanced five-day cold wax workshop, I would still go back through and tweak it and think, okay, I needed a little more time for that, or maybe this part wasn't totally clear. And so constantly kind of revising and, and up, upgrading what I teach. And when I talked earlier about what you learn from how to teach. I think that's an important part to always, you know, look look objectively at how it went from your point of view. And you can also get feedback from students as well. And that's, that's very helpful. Um, another thing I always do in a class, I'll talk for a few minutes the first day, just kind of orient people and give them some idea of how we're going to proceed. But I always want to get them working right away. And the, I I know from... An experience I had taking a workshop once, that there can be a lot of talk from the instructor before you ever get your hands on your art materials. And it, it just dissipates the energy, you know, so I will do minimal introduction and so on. I'll usually do a demo of a quick painting, and then I say, okay, now you do a quick painting. So everybody's into it within the first hour or so, they're they're actually painting. And I think that really helps people like that. Um, Another thing that we touched on last week was the importance of treating treating all your students with equal time and attention to the extent that you can. And sometimes people will more or less demand more attention or on the other end of the spectrum, some people sort of back away and don't really want to engage with you, but as much as you can, you know everybody's everybody's important and treat everybody equally um, and you know, do give honest feedback but also have a supportive attitude and and try to listen to what people are telling you um and consider doing presentations that enhance your content so for example if everybody in your workshop is working abstractly and that's one of the focuses of what you're doing uh, a, a presentation about abstraction you know can really be helpful and it It gives people a chance to get away from their work for, you know, half an hour or something, sit down, look at some slides, consider some ideas. And I think that extra depth that it brings to the learning is really appreciated. People often mention that it was helpful to get some background and some more thoughtful content and not just hands-on. You don't want to overdo it. Uh, I, I probably tend a little bit toward the overdue direction with that, but I, I, I have to try to you know, back off a little bit with having too many of these. Um, so you, you try to find this balance of work time and discussion. You can have really interesting group discussions sometimes, throw some questions out about process, about dealing with different things um, as artists, and it really helps. It really helps people feel like they had a full experience um, your demos, doing demos is important. Um, try to be as prepared as you can be. People really do love to watch the instructor paint <laughs> at the same time. I feel like doing demos is an art in itself. To be unself conscious enough to be able to create art in front of people and even comment on it as you're doing it is is tough. It takes practice. Sometimes I preface demos for certain techniques by being very honest and saying this doesn't always work. I'm going to do my best here. If it doesn't work, I'll try it again, you know. <laughs> and that's good, you know. If it doesn't work, it shows people that they have to be persistent. Um I don't think you want to overdo demos, but it seems to be about right to maybe do one in the morning and one in the afternoon depending on what it is you're teaching. And um it just it's just enjoyable for people. And, and and also to be open to questions that people throw at you. Oh, what if you did it this way? What if you tried that? And then if I'm doing the demo, I'll say, okay, well, let's do that. You know, let's try that. And it's really engaging then um, in the process of, of the demo.
0: What, what, about, what about lectures? Uh, do you have like a time of day when you typically would do like a slideshow or a lecture? Yeah.
1: So usually I would do one um, either right... Usually right after lunch is my most typical time because people can use a little break and just can sit for a little bit, you know, and (laughs) digest food and information. Sometimes I'll do one in the morning if there's something that I'm going to ask people to do an exercise or pay attention to in whatever I'm asking them to do in their work that morning. So I'll do, say, something on um, visual elements or something like that. To um, you know, provide some background information. So it depends on what it is. Occasionally, I've done them even in the evening um, if I'm at a workshop where people are all staying together um, and maybe right before dinner, right after dinner. One that was a little more relaxing, or you know, something slightly entertaining. So I have a whole library of powerpoints, and so. <laughs> I just, you know, I look at them and I look at the class and I think, okay, what's going to work here? And um, it's 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 always, I think, been a good dimension uh, to what I teach. Um, so a couple of last things that are kind of like you're being good to yourself or handling yourself in a workshop. And the first one is a bit of a caution, I would say, as far as how you present yourself in a workshop. And that is simply to try to keep your ego in check. (laughs) Why do I mention this? A common complaint about instructors is they want students to work the way that they work, um, or they're very opinionated, or they're really trying to impose something about their own self, their own ideas, their own approaches really strongly. Um, I I really believe that as an instructor, you're there to serve your students, you're there to listen to them, to help them do what they have in mind, to guide them, to offer them new ideas. Um, But it's not about you, it's not about your life, your experiences. People are sometimes very interested in your experiences as a professional artist, that's fine to share. But, you know, a lot of rambling stories about things, because, frankly, you have a captive audience, you know, (laughs) you call everybody up to the front to tell them what you're doing that day. And if you get really off track and you're just talking about any old thing, it's just not right. And I I have observed this. And so that is something to be self-aware about. Um, Another thing to be self-aware about, which is much more about your own happiness, is take breaks when you need them, and it is absolutely okay to leave the room for a few minutes. I do this, um, you know, just to get a cup of coffee, just to find a quiet corner to sit and regroup and get my energy back because teaching is exhausting. Um, And sometimes, oftentimes, you'll be asked to socialize. Uh, Students will say, well, we're all going to eat somewhere or something like that. And that is absolutely wonderful and fine if you want to. And and I think it's good to do it once during a longer class at least. But I don't think you should feel obligated to do that because you, as I said, it's exhausting, it's depleting, and, and you need that downtime yourself. Um, when you're finished with a workshop, give yourself some time once you get home to get your energy back and I'm speaking as an older instructor <laughs> I notice as the years have gone by that I need a day just to get my energy back it's 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 a really um it's a total immersion into another thing, another space when you're teaching and you have to get yourself back.
0: Do you have a, over the years, have you noticed a a number of repeat students, people that come to you over and over again? Oh yeah. uh, And, and, and I, yeah, I assume you probably do, but so what do you do to, to keep it fresh for them?
1: (laughs) Well, I, I do, I do design exercises that are pretty open-ended so that if you, you would do them more than once, you would, you would see changes you'd see differences from the last time you did them um i also ask them frankly what can i do for you this time you know why why have you come back <laughs> um and you know i don't i'm not saying i treat them differently within the classroom setting uh but i will talk to them about what it is they hope to gain by coming back again, either in an email ahead of time or in person. And that helps me. And sometimes it's something really specific. And sometimes it's just, I just really like coming to class. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've had some people take five, six, seven workshops from me. And it does. It starts to present a little bit of a quandary, like, what are you doing here?
0: (laughs) Uh, How often is that, that you find somebody taking the course over and over again?
1: Um, i I can think of probably seven or eight students who have taken that many. Um, but many times people will take two or three and, and they'll there'll be a gap of time in between and they just want a refresher or they want to come back yeah. and you know hone their skills and all those things. So I always welcome that. I think it's wonderful. Um, when I mean people certainly come back. from
0: from an entrepreneurial business standpoint, it's very good to have repeat customers. Yeah. Uh, and and have people who want to come back to you and learn more from you or or learn again, uh, even if it's the same material. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I I think that there's maybe something there in terms of uh, sending emails to people who have already attended a workshop. Like, hey, if you're interested in attending another one, I have yeah. this or that new thing that I'm teaching. Or...
1: And there's also the idea that I I haven't really ever done this, but the idea has been floated more than once to have uh, an invitational workshop where you might invite some of the students that have worked with you multiple times. And I think the focus of a workshop like that would be really interesting. It would would be less on instruction and more on support and feedback.
0: Well, Um, sure. And I think it maybe would enable teaching at, at a higher level. Yes.
1: Yeah, and the the people that have come back multiple times, you know, they'll be at a higher level. So I think that's an interesting idea. It's, it's, you know, kind of been floating around for a while in my head, but I haven't really followed through on it. Um, So just a couple more things, and I know we're kind of getting to the end here, but when you have a group of people coming they obviously are every personality type and you know different ways of of interacting in a a group some people are very comfortable and gregarious and no you know no social anxiety or anything other people have trouble they're struggling and some people frankly are difficult you know and and you can have a person that disrupts a group on some level and Ever since I started teaching, I have grappled with this idea of what is my responsibility for group dynamics. Obviously, I'm not trained in managing groups. Neither are most people that are teaching workshops. And I mean, it's a skill to get everybody cooperating and, you know, treating each other with respect and all these things. Now, most of the time, it is absolutely not a problem. But it has come up. And I've come to the conclusion that There's an extent to which I'm responsible. There's an extent to which I can explain that I would like the room to be quiet most of the time or something like that. Um, Other than that, you know, these are adults. And I have observed many times that people will take responsibility for coping with something that is disturbing the group. Um, They will talk to the person on their own. And I think that's fine I think it's appropriate and I will also say <laughs> I have finished teaching workshops thinking everybody got along so well and then I find out oh actually there was this big problem <laughs> going on as the instructor you are not always even aware of everything and I, I end up thinking you know that's okay that is the reality of it you're there to teach art you know and you do the best you can with the rest of it um another topic that is a little tough emotionally sometimes is feedback if you get negative feedback about something that happened in the class or something somebody didn't like and i think you just have to take it in stride you you have to realize that you're never going to please everyone and some people will be vocal about things that other people didn't even notice you know so it just you know, like so many things, trying to find a balance with, okay, I need to I need to make note of that, and maybe it's something I can work on. Maybe it's just something that this person found problematic and nobody else did, you know. <laughs> and it's just trying to, you know, be realistic about it, I suppose. And the very last thing, though, is to really, I, we've talked a lot about the practical aspects of teaching, um, as a job, as an entrepreneurial adventure, all these things, but there really are these other rewards to it. And I, I think that being aware of those and being grateful for those is really what keeps you going, it keeps you doing this rather demanding activity <laughs> over the years. And I feel that students often bring this fresh energy, fresh perspective to a workshop um. A lot of times people, especially in a beginner workshop, they don't have a lot of ingrained ideas or habits or ways of working that, you know, they've just been doing for years. A lot of times they're really fresh to it. And I have seen things that people did in class that truly inspired me because of that energy and that being uninhibited and just doing it, you know? (laughs) And I love that. I love that aspect of it. Um, I also have really enjoyed talking to people one-on-one, which I always try to do for a little while during each class. I'll meet with people individually. And to learn a little bit about, you know, what motivates them. What's their story? how have they, What have they encountered along the way? Very interesting. Um, and it just, I think, has helped me be more insightful Uh, that people come to art in so many different ways. And then there are just some of the practical things. You know, people will say, oh, has anybody else tried this tool, you know, this material, this way of working? And typically, students are very generous, and they want to learn from each other as well as from you. And I like that. I've, I've picked up a lot of ideas myself. And sometimes what I do, if there's a lot of that going on, is I'll have a I'll have a sheet where people write that stuff down or do an email thread later on and say, these are the things that came up in class. These are links to products and things like that so that people can follow up on it. Um, what came up in class.
0: Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode?
1: Yeah, a few, it's been a long one, but you know, obviously in spite of the length of it, it's just been a quick run through these things to think about, um, whether you're already teaching or whether you're planning to teach, um, and again, I, going into teaching can start as this kind of casual, gradual process among people you know, but I think once you're really in there, once you're teaching people you don't know, et cetera, you really need to get serious about what what your commitments are, what your responsibilities are. Are you really serving your students the best ways that you can? Are you always evaluating, revising your teaching agenda, trying to learn how to be a better teacher? Um so I really think that your motivation for teaching if you get into this should be to provide something important for your students. Uh, basically, a generous and altruistic attitude, but at the same time, of course, make sure you're being treated well, uh, paid well, and um, you know everything that you need is, is in line so that you'll be happy with it. And to value your own experience and your own dedication to this.
0: All right, well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out RossTickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise.
1: Thanks, everybody.